well, and that psalm does teach us <clears throat> that God's covenant love does endure forever. And we have all these examples in Scripture of how God worked on behalf of his people. And we remember that these things happened to them, but they were written down as examples for us, right? For our instruction. And that's why we read the scriptures from cover to cover. And we see what God has done because it is a reminder and a testimony of what God will do for us, right? As he has done in the past, so he will continue to do. And he will uh, give to his people triumph over all of their enemies, over all of their enemies, and we will inherit the kingdom of God with, with Christ. Okay, well, we are in chapter 24 today, chapter 24 of the Confession, and this chapter deals with uh, civil government, and we're going to do just the first paragraph today, which is a little bit shorter than what we usually do, uh, but that's all right. And I would remind you that when we were preaching through Romans, Romans chapter 13 is one of the key passages in the Bible on the relationship of the Christian to the civil authorities. Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 uh, teaches this. And when we taught through Romans, we did a four-week Bible study on this passage. So if you want a more thorough exposition then I would recommend that uh, to you, not to recommend myself, but we did teach through that. Also, uh, recently at the conference, the Bible conference at Blue Lakes Baptist Church, uh, their January Bible conference that they did, one of the evenings there was an exposition on Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 as well, and I would recommend that one, uh, that one too. That one was not uh, by me, but it was uh, by Pastor Ish down in Texas. Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll read this paragraph and the passage and uh, talk about that. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that your word does uh, teach us, Lord, what is your will for your people, Lord, in all things? Lord, how it is that we are to view and relate to, Lord, the authorities that you have placed over us? Lord, what is the role of government? Uh, what it is that they should be doing? Lord, what we should desire and expect? Uh, from our ruling authorities. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand these things, Lord, that we would not be carried away by various winds of doctrine, but that, Lord, we would understand that you are the one who has ordained government. Lord, you have ordained it for our good, Lord, for the benefit of the civil order, uh, and that, Lord, we ought to respect and support, Lord, those legitimate functions of government that you have instituted, and, Lord, not be rabble-rousers or seditious people who are seeking to undermine, Lord, proper and legitimate authority in this present world. So, Lord, help us today to understand these things, Lord, and to live righteously before you. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 24 on civil government. And this is important because this can be misconstrued in one way or the other, right? There are those who believe that the Christians owe blind, unconditional subjection and honoring to the governing authorities. And then there are those people who believe all government is evil, all authorities are evil, and then we should be seeking to undermine them. And neither one of these is true, right? We have to understand that God is the one who has instituted the government, the governing authorities. But since God is the institutor of these things, he is also the one that defines what is their role and what are the parameters by which they are to operate and exercise with the authority that God has given to them, 
right? So we have to understand both of these things and see them in the right way. When the government is doing things that it has no legitimacy in doing, then that should not be pleasing to us. We should speak out against that. But just because there is evil in government, and just because government does things they should not do, does not mean that we should reject all government or that there's no proper place for them, right? This is commonly a problem uh, in many areas, right? Whenever we see some institution that is legitimate and yet it is corrupted, does not mean that we should get rid of that institution. For example, right, are all marriages good marriages? Are some marriages bad marriages? Of course there are. There's bad marriages in the world, but does that mean we should abolish all marriage because there are some bad marriages? Of course not. We should preach against bad marriages, and then we should uphold what is good and right and lawful according to the standard of God. And this is how it should be with government. Yes, there are corruptions. There is illegitimate government. There are many things that happen especially in our own present day with our own government that are not good. And we should not be pleased with those things. We should preach against them. And we have examples of preaching against them. And John the Baptist, a prophet of God, a righteous man, who was speaking out against the ruler of his day in King Herod, telling him that it was not lawful for him to have as his wife his brother's wife. So he was preaching against the sin of the ruling authority, and in doing so, he's not violating what is taught by the Holy Apostle in Romans chapter 13. Also, our Lord Jesus Christ called that same Herod a fox, right? You go tell that fox, right? He called him a name, a derogatory name. He was calling him according to his own character because Herod was a fox-like creature in that he was sly, he was devious, he was crafty and wicked in the ways that he committed sin. So Jesus and John the Baptist both condemned and spoke out against the legitimate ruling authority. Yet they were not seditious people who were seeking to overthrow the government. Right? So they were speaking against it, yet at the same time, in other areas, they were submissive to the ruling authorities insofar as what the authorities expected of them was consistent with the will of God and with the word of God, right? This is the way we have to judge and look at the government, right? And that's what he's teaching here in Romans chapter 13. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's read that paragraph, then we'll read the scripture, and then we'll talk about these things in summary fashion. Again, if you want the fuller definition and explanation, I would recommend uh, those sermons that we've taught on uh, in previous um, uh, uh, times. Okay, all right, 24, paragraph 1. God, the supreme Lord and King of the whole world, has ordained civil authorities to be under him and over the people for his own glory and the public good. For this purpose, he has armed them with the power of the sword to defend and encourage those who do good and punish evildoers. So here, God, the supreme Lord and King of the whole world, right? This is the key. God, there is no authority except from God. God is the only supreme authority over this present world. He is the creator of the world. And then even as a man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is the basis for the mandate of the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. We are to go into all nations, whether those are Christian nations or not. They're pagan nations, they're Muslim nations, Hindu nations, Buddhist nations, and tell them that they must repent of their sins. They must quit worshiping their vain idols and worship the true and living God. 
And we have the authority to do that because all authority ultimately derives from God. He is the supreme authority. He is the only authority over all things. And any other authority that we see in this world derives its authority, its legitimacy from God. But they do not have it on their own. So there is no human authority that exists outside of the authority of God that has a mandate to where that authority can supersede and overthrow and contradict what God has commanded in the authority of God. Because he is the only authority. And every other authority derives its legitimacy from God. And this is true in all spheres. right? Because, yes, the government has authority over the citizens of the land. But we also know that in the home, the parents have authority over the children. The husband has authority over the wife. In the church, the elders who are to rule, they're to rule well. They have authority over the congregation, right? So in all of these areas, there is authority and there is submission. Also in the workplace, there are bosses and then there are the underlings. There's the master, there's the slave, or there is the servant. So there are these various roles of rulership, of authority, and then there are those who are in submission. Well, any human that has a role of authority, that authority is legitimate if that position has been ordained by God. So in the case of the home, does the husband have legitimate authority over the wife? Yes, and why do we know that? Because God made the man first, and he made him the head over the woman. Do the parents have legitimate authority over the children? Yes, right, they do, because God has placed them at the head, and the children are to be under their discipline and to learn from them. In the church, the elders have authority over the congregation or over the people. In society, the ruling authorities, the governed authorities, they have authority over the citizens, and the citizens are to obey them in whatever they command, insofar as what they command is consistent with the authority of God. So the government does not have the authority to do whatever they want. It is not universal authority. It is not unconditional authority. It is a contingent authority that is derived from God himself. And that is very important for us to understand. They do not have the authority to command and expect us as Christians to disobey God. If they tell us to disobey God, then we have to say it is better to obey God than to obey man. We cannot obey you. And we have many examples in the Bible where this was the case, such as Exodus chapter 1. The midwives, the Hebrew midwives, when the Pharaoh commanded them to kill the males that were born of the Hebrew children, they did not obey them. They did not obey the command of Pharaoh to murder these children. And as a result of that, it says that God blessed them and established their homes. Also, we think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These righteous men, whenever the king commanded that everyone should bow down and worship his image, these three righteous men would not obey the edict of the king, even if it meant that they were going to die, because they knew and understood that the king did not have the authority to command them to commit idolatry, because that would be subverting and superseding, contradicting the authority of God found in his word. 
Also Daniel. When Daniel was commanded to not pray to anyone but to the king, Daniel did not obey the edict of the king. He disobeyed it, but he was not dishonoring the king. He was honoring the true king, who is our Lord and Savior. Also, in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles were commanded not to speak in his name anymore, they told the authorities, whether it's right in God's sight or not, right, but we must obey God rather than men. We have to keep saying and speaking what we have seen and heard because it's better for us to obey God than to obey man. Now, this is because all authority belongs to God. He is the supreme authority. And God has ordained civil authorities to be under him and over the people. The civil authorities, they are not an end in themselves. They themselves are under the authority of another. And who are they under? They're under the authority of God. That means the civil authorities, God expects them to enact laws and execute justice in the land based upon whose law? Based upon whose word? based upon God's. They don't have the authority to make laws as they see fit. They are commanded by God, they are instituted by God to enact just laws and just penalties according to God's estimation and according to God's word because they have their authority under God. And according to Psalm 58, they will stand on the day of judgment and they will answer to God for how they have ruled and used the authority that God has given to them, right? So God is the one who has authority. God is the one who delegates that authority. And then God is the one who will judge us based upon how we exercise the authority he delegated to us. And if we do it according to the will of God, then we will be rewarded. If we do it contrary to the will of God, then we will be punished and we will be held to a higher standard, right? The ruling authorities, they will be doubly guilty, right? The citizenry, the people who are under them, if they follow in the sins of the authorities, the people will themselves face the judgment of God. But the authorities will be held to a higher standard because not only have they themselves committed these sins, but also they, by their bad example and by their wicked laws, have led the people to commit sins. This is as it says so often, if you read uh, First and Second Kings, about Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Jeroboam was the ruler, and he's the one that established this false system of worship. And when he did that, it says constantly that he made Israel to sin. Jeroboam made Israel to sin. And then when other kings were wicked and followed in his example, they always talks about them committing the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. He made them sin by enacting laws that were contrary to the word of God and by his bad example in what he did. So they will be held to a higher standard. So God is the one who has ordained civil authorities. He created it, and he's the one that defines it. What are they supposed to do according to the word of God? Where, what is their realm that God has given to them? This is what we'll see in Romans chapter 13. And they're over the people, over their people in these things. Right? They don't have authority to do other things. They only have authority to do what God has called them to do. 
right, what God has called them to do, for his glory and the public good, the glory of God and the good of man, which means if they're instituting sin, that's not for the glory of God and it's not for the good of man. And therefore, whatever they're doing that's sinful, we should reject and say, no, we're not going to follow and we should oppose those things. Next, it says, for this purpose, he has armed them with the power of the sword, meaning the government has authority and then they have power to exercise that authority and that power is seen in the power of the sword, meaning they have the authority to execute people, to execute criminals who commit sins that are worthy of death, right? The sword is used as a representation of the power to execute. Execution is the greatest punishment a civil authority can enact upon a criminal. But then there are lesser punishments as well that fit different crimes. And they have the authority to enact those as well, right? Fines, beatings, imprisonments, right? Execution being the greatest one. So God has equipped the government with the legitimate authority to execute people who commit sins that are worthy of death. And we, according to the Holy Apostle in the New Testament, should expect our government to execute people who commit sins that are worthy of death. It is not the job of the government to be gracious and merciful. That is not their duty. It is their job to exact vengeance, to exact justice according to the word of God. Right? They are an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is what they are called to do. And in terms of justice, it is eye for eye, it is tooth for tooth, it is life for life. Right? It is a just penalty that fits the crime. Not reforming criminals, right? not justice reform, which is injustice. None of those things. It is their job to punish people for crimes and to punish them with just and fitting penalties that will deter future criminals from doing those things. And this is what we should expect. Now, how do we define what is a crime and what is not a crime? We have to go to the Bible. How do we determine what sins are worthy of death and what sins are not worthy of death? We have to go to the Bible. The Bible is our guide that tells us what is worthy of death and what is not. And we should expect the government to exercise their authority according to the will of God. And then the practical way that works itself out is to defend and encourage those who do good and punish evildoers. This is the one job that God has given to the government. Their sole task is to encourage good and punish evildoers. Right, that's it. It's not their job to deliver mail. It's not their job to provide retirement for all the citizens. It is not their job to provide health care for all the citizens. It is not their job to educate children in government schools. None of these things do they have a mandate from God to do. So when they do those things, what are they doing? They're sinning. They're sinning against God, and they're not doing what God has called them to do. And they don't have a right to take taxes from the citizens to support these illegitimate functions. They have the authority to tax the citizens to support the legitimate functions of the government, which is to promote good and to punish evildoers. Meaning, we need to protect the citizens 
from enemies within, which are criminals, thugs and criminals, people who do these kinds of things, they should, you have to have courts, you have to have judges, you have to have police, right? You have to have these people in order to do these things. Okay, well, how are they going to be funded? The taxes. The taxes of the people should pay for these things, and then we should expect the government to punish criminals who commit crimes according to the Bible. Not reward them, not give them a slap on the wrist, but to actually punish them with crimes or with penalties that will actually deter them from doing this again. Right, you cannot, people will say this, you can't legislate morality, which is nonsense. You can legislate morality. You can expect people, even unbelievers, even wicked people, to not act on all of their evil impulses. Not because they're righteous people who want to do the will of God, but out of self-preservation. Because they don't want to get beaten. Because they don't want to go to prison. Because they don't want to be executed. And if you have laws that are clear and accurate, and you have penalties that are according to those crimes, then it will deter people from doing these types of things. But when there are no penalties that fit the crime, if it's just a slap on the wrist, then what are the criminals going to do? They'll just go back to doing it over and over and over again. And this is what is the problem in our own country today. The justice system is the injustice system because there is no justice, right? The criminals are doing whatever they want and there's no punishments for what they have done. There needs to be strong, swift justice and that will deter them from doing these things, right? Because again, you cannot change the hearts of men through punishment, but you can restrain their evil behavior. And you can keep them from acting on all of their evil impulses if they know that if I do this, I'm going to get executed. There are many people who won't do it. But if there's no penalty, then what will keep me from murdering my neighbor or breaking into his house and stealing his goods if there's no punishment? Or selling drugs, peddling drugs, because you can make easy money doing that. You get to sleep all day, you stay up all night, you make money, it's tax-free, you have to pay taxes on it. It's great, it's a great life. And if all you get for selling drugs is a slap on the wrist and then you go back out, well, of course they're going to do this. Why am I going to go get a job right, and work hard when I can make all this money selling drugs on the street? This is what's happening. Or recently, I just read this past week, out in the wonderful utopia that is California. Who would want to go to that place? No one. But anyway, out in California, the DA in Los Angeles, he's a worthless man, and they have made the laws so lax that there was a man who committed a horrible crime against a 10-year-old girl. He was 17 when he did it, and because he was a minor, he got two years of probation for committing this heinous crime against a 10-year-old girl, a 17-year-old man against a 10-year-old girl. And he got two years of probation. And he was laughing about it, knowing that nothing was going to happen to him because the DA, the district attorney, who is supposed to protect the innocent, he's not going to do anything. And now this guy's a transgender, so of course they're going to let him out because this is what they're promoting. This is all evil, and it's contrary 
to the word of God. And when government begins to do these types of things, they no longer are a help and a benefit to the people, but they are a detriment to the common good, to the civil order, and to the church of Jesus Christ, and to wholesome, happy families, which is not what we want. Okay, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 1, says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So there the apostle says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He begins by stating the general rule, the general principle that should be true of us. Right? Our general attitude toward the governing authorities as Christians is that we should be subject to the governing authorities. Right? And again, here he's writing to Christians in Rome before Rome was Christianized, who have a pagan ruler, right? So this is a pagan authority, yet insofar as even a pagan is enacting laws that are consistent with the law of God, we should be in subjection to them. And generally speaking, right, because again, the civil order will completely crumble if there is no law and order. There has to be some semblance of law and order. And because of Romans chapter 2, we know that even Gentiles have the word of God written on their heart or on their conscience. The law of God is in their conscience. Though they are far from God, though they are separated from him, though they do not follow him, yet man is not so devoid of truth and knowledge that they have no understanding of righteousness or of justice. And even in uh, governments where there are not Christians, there will be some semblance of justice and civic righteousness, right? And when this is the case, we should be subject to them insofar as what they are expecting is consistent with the law of God, right? Most governments do not promote murder. They don't promote stealing. They don't promote immorality. They don't promote lying, right? That's not happening generally speaking, in most governments. Most governments are not promoting that children should be disobedient to their parents. Most governments, even unbelieving governments, there is some semblance of the Ten Commandments in what they expect and in what they are enacting. Right? Because again, without law, without order, then everything descends into chaos. Again, see any major Democrat-run city in the United States of America where this is what is happening in those cities, in those states that are run where there's no rule of law. It's misery, it's chaos in those kinds of places. So, and again, even unbelievers can 
enact laws and punishments according to the will of God, according to the will of God. Let me just show you one example of this, which would be 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. This is Jehu, who we know was an unbeliever. He wasn't a godly man. He wasn't a true Christian. But even Jehu, though he was an unbeliever, did some good. He did some good, and he did do some things according to the will of God. 2 Kings 10, verse 15. It says, And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand. And Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained in, to Ahab in Samaria, till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So here Jehu, he killed all the house of Ahab according to the word of the Lord. And he did it because he, he says, you want to see my zeal for the Lord. But then also verse 18, then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now he's doing this to trick him. Now therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshipers and all his priests. Let none be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to offer to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehab did it with, Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu ordered, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent throughout all of Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came. So there was not a man left who did not come. And they entered the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to those who were in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonahab, the son of Rechab, and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only the worshipers of Baal. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. And Jehu had stationed 80 men outside and said, The man who allows any one of those whom I give into your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he made an end of the, offering, of the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, Go in and strike them down. Let not one man escape. So when they put them to the sword, the guard and the officers cast them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. And they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal and burned it. And they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. Right? Is that good or bad? Is it good for the society if the worship of Baal is extinguished and all of the false prophets are put to death and the temple of Baal is made a latrine, a bathroom where you go in and use the bathroom? Right? That's great. This is a good thing that he did. Then verse 28, Then Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel with all of his heart, he did not turn 
from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. So in the one area, he, was, he did wrong, he did evil. He continued in the sins of Jeroboam. But in the other area, when it came to the worship of Baal, he did what was right in the sight of God. So here, an unbeliever did what was good and right in this one area, but he didn't do what was good and right in the other area. So yes, even unbelievers, even unbelieving authorities can do what is good and right according to the will of God. And when they do that, we should be grateful and we should be thankful. But then if there's another area where they're doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord, then we should speak out against that. And we should not be pleased and we should not obey them in those things. So generally speaking, we should be subject to the governing authorities. Now why? There is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Right? The authority the government has comes from God. God is the ultimate authority. And then any legitimate authority that exists in this world has been instituted by God. God is the creator of civil governments. It was instituted by Him. So when we obey them, we are obeying God. If, again, all this is conditioned on what? if what they are commanding is consistent with the will of God. Right? It has to be. Otherwise, it's not legitimate. Otherwise, we can't do it. Right? So here, he's talking about legitimate authority. Authority consistent with the will of God. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. If you resist the authorities you're resisting God's institution. And if you resist them, then you're going to have their judgment. They're going to judge them as a sign and symbol of God's judgment upon you. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Again, he's talking about it when it's functioning properly. When it's being exercised legitimately. Right? In its proper role, rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Right? What civil authority punishes people for telling the truth? Right? For being courageous? Right? For working hard? Right? For protecting and saving the life of their neighbor? Right? No one does that, typically speaking, unless they're so perverse in their mind. Right? They don't terrorize good conduct. They terrorize bad conduct. Right? They lock up thieves and murderers and adulterers. Right? The liars, these kinds of people. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do what is good and you will receive his approval. If you don't want to have fear of him, again, legitimate fear, there may be a time where the authorities are doing what's contrary to the word of God and they may threaten us and in a sense we might have a little bit of fear of them, but in that case, we, we don't, the fear is not based upon the word of God. It's not based upon us disobeying God. Here he's talking about it in the sense of what they're commanding is good. Well, if you don't want to fear the ruling authorities, then do what is good. Right? If you don't want to go to jail for stealing, then don't what? Don't steal. If you don't want to go and get executed for murder, then don't murder anyone. Right? Do what is good, and for the most part, they're going to leave you alone. You're going to receive his approval. For he is God's servant, for your good. He is God's servant, whether he knows it or not. 
He is God's servant, and he's there for your good. Could you imagine what the world would be like if there were no laws, no justice system, no police, no courts, no nothing? If everyone did what was right in their own eyes, it would be utter misery. There, we could have no society. Right? You, you could have no possessions because they would always be the threat of someone stealing them or of murdering you, of taking your life. Right? You couldn't trust anyone. They would be lying to you all the time. The reason there is a semblance of civil order, even in a wicked world, is because of authorities, laws and justice that come from God. They are God's servant, and they're there for our good, right? for our benefit. But, he says, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Right? If you do good, you have nothing to fear. If you do wrong, then you better be afraid, because he has the sword, and he doesn't bear it in vain, meaning he has the sword to use it against criminals, against evildoers. He's going to punish them with the sword, and what's he going to do with that sword? He's going to chop off their head, right? That's, that's what he means. They're going to chop off your head if you go and murder someone, and if you don't want that, then don't murder people, right? Instead, love your neighbor as yourself. He is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Right? We remember in Romans chapter 12, we might say, well, I thought that we were not supposed to get vengeance. Right? We're not supposed to get vengeance on our own, but God is the one who gives us vengeance. And the way that God gives vengeance to those who have injustices committed against them in this life is through the governing authorities. They are the ones who get vengeance for God. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God, and therefore, if someone wrongs us, we don't avenge ourselves, we don't become vigilantes and go out and get justice for ourselves, but we go through the proper authorities and we go to the governing authorities and then we expect them to get vengeance on our behalf. So if someone steals our goods, we should be able to go to the police and they should arrest the criminal and restore our goods to us. And then that criminal should be punished for what they have done. They should give vengeance to us against them. We shouldn't go out and do it on our own but they are called to do it. Now, if they don't do it, then we just have to leave it into the hands of God and know that ultimately on the day of judgment, God will make everything right and he will give vengeance and he will make every injustice, he will make it right. Okay, so he is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So we need to be in subjection to the governing authorities, not only because we don't want to face the wrath of God. We don't want to be locked up in prison. We don't want to have our heads chopped off. We don't want that. So we want to avoid the wrath of God, but then also for the sake of our conscience. Because again, law-abiding citizens, their conscience isn't being tormented 
because there's nothing to torment it, because they're doing what is good and right in the sight of God. It's criminals, it's thieves, it's murderers, it's drunkards, right? It's liars. These are the people, drug dealers. They're the ones who have a guilty conscience. They're the ones always looking over their shoulder, wondering if the authorities are going to break down their door because they're doing what is wrong. But if we do what's right, then we will have a clean conscience and our conscience won't be tormented. So we'll both avoid the wrath of God and we'll have a clean conscience both before God and before our fellow men. Then also, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Right? Because of this. Now, what is the this that he's talking about? Because we need the authorities to carry out God's vengeance on wrongdoers. And again, they can't do this if there are not funds available for them to do so. How can the government protect us from foreign invaders if we don't have a standing army? And if that army doesn't have the equipment that they need to fight off some foreign enemy? Well, who's going to pay for this? Well, who does the army benefit? It benefits the people. So the people should pay a part of their income to support these legitimate functions of government, such as an army to defend us from foreign enemies and a police force and a justice system to protect us from enemies within. And this requires taxes. We have to have taxes. We have to pay those things for this reason, and we should happily pay them for those reasons, not for the other reasons, right? Not to provide welfare, not for Social Security, right? Not for Medicare and Medicaid, not for government schools, not for the postal system, right? Not for any of the other thousand illegitimate things that the government has no business doing. They should not be taking our taxes to support those illegitimate things because they don't have the right to do those things from God and they don't have the right to tax us for those things from God. They don't have that authority, and they don't have the right to do those things. And when they do, they are stealing. They are stealing from the people. They become oppressors of the people when they are supposed to be protectors and servants of the people, and then God will hold them accountable for what they are doing. That's what's going on today in, in our own country. They are stealing from the people, first to line their own greedy pockets, and then secondly, to do all sorts of things that they have no business doing, and they do horrible job at, right? They do a miserable job at these types of things. Who would you rather bring your mail to you? FedEx, UPS, or the U.S. Postal Service? Which is going to get there in a more timely, prompt manner? Which one is going to be more effective? And we all know the answer. Who do you entrust your retirement to? Who's going to do better? Some independent firm that has to make money by how well they do that, or the federal government, right, who's going to oversee all this money, and what have they done with all of it? Where is it at? It's already gone. They spent it all, right? They already spent it all, and now they're just going to take more and more and more. And what about our health care? Do we want to entrust these rascals with our health care? No way, right? So why are they doing all of the things that they are doing, that they don't have authority from God to do, and then seizing our money in order to go and do these things. It's evil, and they should not be doing it, right? They should not. They ought to quit, and we should call them 
Call your senator, call your representative, tell them, quit doing these things and do what God called you to do and leave us alone and our money alone. Okay, okay, this is why you pay taxes. You pay taxes for the legitimate functions, right? They are ministers of God attending to this very thing. This very thing is rewarding those who do good, punishing those who do evil. That's why you pay taxes. Then pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So you pay what is owed for these legitimate functions. This is why we should pay these things. We give our taxes, we give our revenue to them. We give our honor and respect to them insofar as they are honorable, respectful people. If they are dishonorable people, then we cannot honor them. If they are evil people, we cannot honor them. We can honor them any, only as far as what they expect is consistent with the word of God. And in terms of the government, again, I think the best way to think about, to think about the way we should respond to them is what we desire more than anything else is that we would have righteous authorities. We should want Christians, true Christians, true believers who have an understanding of the word of God, who understand justice and righteousness according to the word of God, we should want them as our ruling authorities. And if that is the case, it's going to make for a better society because the laws are going to be more consistent and conform more to the law of God. And when the law of God is the law of the land, then it makes for a better society. So we should pray first that they would be true believers and true Christians. Then secondly, if they're not true believers or true Christians, then we should at least pray that they would have some understanding of civic righteousness and that they would institute civic righteousness and actually be a benefit to the people, to the land, to the citizens, right? This is like Jehu. Jehu, though he was an unbeliever, yet he still did some things that were good in the sight of God and that were a benefit to the people because he extinguished the worship of Baal from Israel. And that's a good thing. So we should pray that if not true believers, that then God would at least give to us rulers and leaders who will do some good and will enact civic justice and civic righteousness in the land. And then if we have the third scenario, which is evil leaders, evil rulers, who are not promoting even civic righteousness, but are promoting wickedness in the land, then we should pray that God would destroy them, that God would wipe them off the face of the earth, and that God would raise up for us righteous leaders to rule over us. Because when these evil people are ruling, then it's going to be a plague for everyone. It's going to lead to more and more sin, and more people are going to go to hell as a result of it. So we should not desire that at all. So we want Josiah. That's who we want as our ruler. If not Josiah, we want Jehu. And then if not Jehu, we certainly don't want Jezebel. Right? That's the three, the three orders of J's. Right? right now we got Jezebel. We got a couple of Jezebels running around, and we should pray that they would meet the same fate as Jezebel in the Bible, and that God would deliver us from these wicked, from these wicked people who are ruling our land.